Welcome to another of the Retire Notes podcast series. I'm Bruce Manners, the author of Retirement Ready and founder of the RetireNotes.com website. Today I'm in conversation with Paul Borges. Paul is a couples counsellor and lecturer in counselling at Avondale University College. The topic is about couples negotiating what they will do in retirement. Thanks for being with us, Paul. My pleasure, Bruce. Yeah, last time we talked, it was about couples talking about preparing for retirement. Today, it's about negotiating what they'll do in retirement. Is negotiating the right word? I think negotiating is what it's always about in working with couples. Sometimes you can end up with a novel solution that makes both partners totally happy. But more often than not, I think it's about finding a place where both people can exist and when both people can live with it. I think it's about finding a livable and workable solution rather than necessarily being able to meet the needs of both persons in the relationship perfectly. Sometimes that can happen, but often we can't pull that off. And it is then about how we negotiate through that. Yes. And the big secret of doing that is? I think the big secret of negotiation is to be able to understand the dreams of our partner because behind something that they're very strong on, you know, position that they've taken, there is a dream behind that. A dream that they have about something that they need, something that's really important to them, something they don't want to lose. And if we can get behind the content to see what actually is the emotion in the dream, then it is easier for us to be empathic. It's easier for us to be understanding and go, oh, okay, I get it. That's what that's about for you. It's not just you're being stubborn. It's not just that you're being difficult. This is what you're trying to protect. And then we've got a better chance to actually find a place to move. Once we understand the emotion and the feeling behind the issue, the piece of content, if you like, that we're arguing about. Yeah. How do you get to that dream the other person has? Is there a secret way of doing that? I think it's through actually practicing empathy, just trying really hard through communication to put yourself in your partner's shoes. Now, it's a lot easier if your partner is sharing and explaining their position to you rather than trying to shove it down your throat. Yes, um, can understand that, yes. When, when We always get defensive, we always get reactive when we feel that somebody is forcing us to take their point of view and almost implying that you'd have to be stupid and start raving mad not to see it the way I do. So tentativeness is really important in negotiation. And being able to say things, look, I might be wrong, but this is just the way I see it. I'm sure this is not the only way to see it, but it's just the way I see it. And I know this probably makes no sense to you, but to me, this is really important. This is how I feel when this happens or this is how I feel when this doesn't happen. That kind of language works better. The good old, you know, the I statements, trying to take blaming out of it, speaking mm-hmm. for self, all that good communication stuff. Mm-hmm. Couples tend to spend a lot of time together in retirement, but they still need to have separate lives. How do they negotiate this aspect of their retirement? Yeah, I think it's it's trickier in retirement because, as has been said before, you've got twice the spouse on half the money. So how do you deal with that? We've got to keep in mind that in a good marriage, there are always three identities. Yes. It's always him, her and us. And it's how you balance those three and make sure each are taken care of. You don't actually do us any benefit if you pretend that either he or she doesn't have individual needs and that they don't need to be taken care of. So it's how to hold the needs of the togetherness and separateness 
that all couples have. It's always about a tension between togetherness and separateness and balancing that. And sometimes some people will need a little more togetherness and some people a little more separateness. That can be a personality characteristic. So it's how we manage that. Mm-hmm. And often a lot of negotiation is needed around that, around the needs for togetherness and separateness. So if they have different dreams, that's a lot of negotiation that has to take place. Yeah, it is. I think the danger is if that is not addressed, the couple will slowly drift further and further apart until the marriage is there in name only. Mm -hmm. So with a couple that don't seem to have much common ground at all, addressing these issues may need some professional help. Yes. And the issue is that probably there is a lack of commonality not only in the retirement discussion but probably in most of the discussions in the marriage. So my guess would be if there's problem on finding common ground with the dreams about retirement, there's probably symptomatic of a larger relationship issue that there is little common ground on anything anymore Yeah, and may need some professional help. Okay. And professional help is found where? Well, usually through a couple's counsellor. Okay. (laughs) They're the people that are trained. And I think it's important when people look for a couple's counsellor to make sure that the person they're going to is actually an experienced couple's counsellor. There are lots of people who do counselling. Not all of them have been trained to be relationship counsellors. So it's important to remember that that's a specialised area and the person needs to have both training and practice in that area. How do you find someone? Well, there is an Australian Association of Relationship Counsellors. There are registers of professional organisations such as Australian Counselling Association, Psychotherapy and Counselling Federation of Australia. And by doing a search on the internet, you'll be able to see the various specialities that people have and what they actually feel that they can practice incompetently. Okay. If one partner retires early... Are there expectations about the person not retired or from the person not retired? How does this get negotiated through? I think the problem is not so much that there are expectations, but there are often assumptions that are not expressed or talked about. Assumptions, yeah. There are assumptions made. In other words, I just assumed that if I was going to work and you were going to be home all day, the least you could do is do everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, surely you can do that. I'm still going and earning money. After all, I'm paying for you. You know, there's this kind of tit for tat type of feeling. I'd suggest you not do that at home. <laughs> Try that at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, the danger is that relationship is viewed as some kind of a contract. You know, I'm doing this, therefore you need to do this for me. And that kind of contract language belongs in the courtroom. It doesn't belong in marriage. Mm -hmm. Marriage is best described by covenant type of language rather than contract type of language. I think, I mean, it's certainly reasonable that the person retiring earlier than the other and the person staying home will get a fair bit of housework and stuff done. Of course, that's a reasonable expectation. Sure. But I, I think it's important that the person retiring still feels that they have time to pursue some of their dreams and not are just loaded with a whole lot of domestic duties that previously were shared and maybe even they had a cleaner come in before but now because she's home he says well we don't need a cleaner anymore you're home all day and the person finds that they don't have much more time than they did before because of all the extra duties they've taken on that can cause a lot of resentment. Yeah. And even when they both retire together, there's got to be some sharing arrangement as well, doesn't there? 
I think so. For some people, that kind of just seems to work and they can create harmony almost naturally and hardly have to work it through. But I think for the rest of us lesser mortals, we actually have to work at it. And we work at it by communicating, by negotiating, by figuring out what both people can live with, meeting each other halfway, all of that sort of thing. Most of us, I think, have to put in that hard work to actually find something that works for both of us. Yeah. Should we assume that it's healthy to have joint ventures and separate interests? I think it's essential because that's about protecting what we talked about before, the he, the she, and the us. Okay, yes. Otherwise, I think there's a lot of resentment if a person says, well, I used to do this, 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 or I'd really like to do this, but you don't do it, so therefore I gave it up. I think that has, to me, a little bit of a kind of a martyr complex. Well, I gave up all this stuff for you. I really wanted to do all this. Far better to at least find a way of doing some of that. Yeah. And then doing other things with your partner that you can both enjoy together. Yes, yes. So how do you negotiate the tricky things? I mean, they could be holidays, they could be grandkids coming around, family connections, Christmases, whatever. I think maybe if I can get the second part of that question first, I think when it comes to grandkids and family connections, I think the trick with family and extended family is to remain connected but separate. So in other words, to not be enmeshed but also not disengaged. So be engaged without being entangled and enmeshed. I mean, so much of our joint happiness as we get older is about grandchildren and great-grandchildren and healthy unions will obviously put a high value on time spent with grandchildren, but it shouldn't be at the expense of the relationship. Yeah. What ways can you stop World War Three when it tends to be going that way? I think John and Julie Gottman, in the excellent work that they've done on relationships, they suggest that we distinguish between what are solvable problems and what are perpetual problems. And their research has shown that 70% of problems in good marriages, so this is not marriages that end in divorce, but marriages that work long term, where people report high levels of marital satisfaction, that 70% of those problems never get solved. But what people do in good marriages is they learn to manage those problems in a way that is respectful of the other person. Okay. So they, they don't expect to solve them, but they learn how to deal with it. So in other words, to have conversations about that where they're not bullying each other, putting each other down, trying to convince each other of their point of view, but rather respectful of the differences and, and realizing that this is something that they're going to have to learn to continue to manage because it's never going to get solved. The 30% of problems that can be solved where I think that starts a lot of the time is by trying to step into the other person's world and see what it is that's behind the issue, as we said previously, what's behind the content that they're fighting for, what is the dream, what is the emotion and feeling underlying the words that are being used. Sure. Sounds like see the big picture. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking there's a certain openness required to do this too. The willingness to actually say, I see a problem here, yeah. You have to make yourself vulnerable. Yeah. And you have to take that risk rather than trying to do it by avoidance. Some other things that we know work well when you bring up something with the other person 
the way the conversation ends has a lot to do with the way the conversation starts. So if the opening statement in a conversation that is about solving a problem is an attack, then probably it's not going to end well. We're not likely to be able to go 20 minutes later, wow, I'm so glad we talked about that. We will feel better now. Gottman calls that harsh startup. Okay. So, you know, when the person, rather than saying, look, I'm finding this difficult, uses a use statement to lash out, why can't you do this? Why on earth is this such a big deal for you? What they're really trying to do is to say, hey, this is difficult for me. Yes. But that takes a little bit more emotional honesty and a bit more vulnerability, so it's easier just to lash out. And of course, that is what we call harsh startup. Harsh startup will mean that the problem-solving process is probably going to end about the same way that it started, not successfully. Yeah. No good result for either of them. Not a good result, yeah. Yeah. Is it helpful to have, let me call it, a review process every now and again? I think so. There are some couples who have a State of the Union meeting. Okay. Some of them have it as needed. Some have it regularly, State of the Union meeting, where we just say, how's it going? You know. Yes. And there can be some guidelines around those discussions. For example, a couple might say, okay, when we have these discussions, the first thing we do is we think of everything that we can that we've appreciated about the person during the last week. All the little things that they've done that we may have forgotten or forgotten to mention to them that we appreciated. So start positive. We start with that and it sets up a sort of an ambiance, I think, and a positive atmosphere. And then we might use an I statement to say, look, I'm wondering if we can try to solve this because this is not working for me real well. What can we do? I know this is important to you and you know this is important to me. What's our options? And I think it's important to be tentative rather than dogmatic, mm-hmm. rather than this is what I need you to do. It's better to go, I'm wondering if it might be possible. Yes. Yeah. Would that work for you? Make a request rather than a demand. Nobody wants to be demanded of. Makes sense. I guess the secret is keep the channels open. Very much so. All right, Paul, any final words of advice? I think the way that the marriage has worked before retirement yes. is going to be the way that it'll work after retirement, except there'll be more of it. Whatever we've had before <laughs> retirement, we're going to have more of it because we're going to spend more time with each other. That makes sense. So I think part of this planning that we talked about in our previous discussion is also how do we get our marriage ready for retirement? How do we make sure that it's healthy enough that can actually go the distance? Yes. You know, we need to do that with our physical health. We also need to do that with the health of what will be the most significant relationship that we will have as we continue the ageing process. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Paul. A good note to finish on. My pleasure. And thanks to you for listening to this retirenotes.com podcast.